I remember your your first episode was like two hours long, (laughs) and and it just (laughs) and it doesn't. We don't start reading a story until like Like an an hour hour into it, it. and I just remember feeling no, it's like forty eight minutes. It's really close, but it's there. And I remember telling myself like, man, we have such great conversation about such great topics, but do we need to shut the fuck up and read stuff? (laughs) I think I think we actually get to the point where like we're still talking and uh, time just kind of travels on and we have no idea what we're doing and we have no idea what we're talking about we're like, <laughs> like what are we doing here it's been you know an hour before we're actually getting to the purpose of what we're doing and, you know but that, I think those are the best conversations in the first place so the ones where you just kind of lose track of time and they just kind of carry on to the middle of the night <sighs> It's it's sensual. Sure. What I was distracted by was the mushroom man yeah, grabbing like, grabbing yeah. Will Graham's cock. Yep. <laughs> really scared him. It really surprised him. In the background here, because on on our episodes we always have something on atmosphere. So if you hear something in the background on this episode, it is Hannibal, which I had coincidentally forgotten everything about over the last four years. I think, I think the last episode we did, we did. Uh, we did Cowboy Bebop the last episode that last episode that we did. Mm-hmm. The thing was on at one point. Yeah, we did the thing on one of them. And then Halloween or Trick or Treat was on. Yeah, for, I, I think, think it might first have been tri- episode. Yeah. Trick or Treat was on one of them. So, yeah. So now we're doing Hannibal. Hannibal is might be the most underrated suspense thriller TV show of all time. <laughs> you always speak you speak in ultimates you speak in ultimatums at one point earlier in the first episode we watched the first episode again before we hopped into it because I just I wanted to remember more about it and uh, drugs have addled my brain that I don't remember watching any of this show but I know for a fact I watched all of it um, at one point earlier Scutch who I am here with Scutch McGee says you know why that's you know why that's the best Hannibal Lecter? Because look at him. <laughs> look at him. That's him. That is Hannibal yeah. Lecter at Mads Mickelson. Yeah. Um, after a conversation about uh, Ralph Fien in uh, Ralph Fiennes. In Red Dragon. In Ralph Red Fiennes. Dragon. Yeah. Learn and, Voldemort himself. And Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. He just <laughs> immediately looks over... And Mads Mickelson and goes, man, you know why Mads was the best? Because that's Hannibal, and all and all Mads is doing is eating a piece of pork, you know, really for, for the camera. Yeah, he's just eating a piece of liver. That's all it is. He's just chewing up a piece of liver. It's not even anything big, but I mean, that's just what happens when you get like really good direction and cinematography and. David Slade. Yeah, Hannibal is one of the shows where everything literally comes together between score, director, screenplay, acting, and acting, and it's the rarest combination where all four come together. Like, it's you can have great acting in a show, but sometimes you know if the the writing's bad, it just doesn't carry it. Absolutely. But with Hannibal, like with all four of those, it's symphonic. It is. It is. It really is. It's just like when you put it on and you're watching it, and every single moment of the entire show, 
there's not a moment where you're like, this is boring. Like, everything is just... For me, recently, yeah. I can compare that to... The Haunting of Hill House. When I originally recorded this episode, I said the wrong fucking name. So I'm going to correct it every time I use it. When I watched that show, I was captivated yeah. by the music, the characters, the yeah. writing, the emotion, the dire the direction in that show. Can yeah. Have you watched it? I have. The direction of that show and how compositionally yeah. it just throws people sure. into the background yeah. to make you experience what these characters do by how this house is just off sometimes. I feel like that, yeah. I feel like that it was It puts the first, you in such yeah. a spot, just as the way how some of the surreal visions that Will Graham has in Hannibal kind of allude to his lack thereof understanding yeah. Yeah. about what's going on in his situations sometimes. I think, you know, the, the direction in both of these shows is like a masterclass level of calculated. Yeah. And that, um, who, who directs, uh, that's Mike, Mike Flanagan. Okay. Director of Gerald's Game and Hush. Okay. And the, the first, uh, well, Gerald's Game Oculus. is fantastic, yeah. He, di yeah. he directed Oculus, and I thought Hush was great, too, as a, I think, direct-to-Netflix horror thriller. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's the popular one about the, the deaf woman living in the boonies by herself, yeah. and uh, a guy is just, like, walking around in her house, and she has no idea because she can't hear. Yeah. You know, that's fun. Yeah. And then Gerald's <laughs> Game comes along, yeah. and this guy films the unfilmable, in Stephen yeah. King's opinion. Yeah. And ever since that point, I have been excited for everything Mike Flanagan yes. does. Yeah. And when I watched The Haunting of Hill House, it's weird I like it so much and don't remember its name. I was blown away. I actually consider myself having slept on it. Yeah. So many people came to me and said, are you watching this yeah. yet? And I would say no. And they would say why? And I would be like, I don't know. I have other things going yeah. on. Only now to completely change topic. As we do, sitting on this yeah. couch together. Yeah. Um, only now am I now watching both, at, at the same time, yeah. Punisher Season 2 and Daredevil Season 3. Yeah. And I'm about halfway through both Daredevil, so much. Daredevil Season 3, my favorite, my favorite comic character of all time, comes into light. Bullseye. Yeah, Poindexter. Comes into light, and uh, I couldn't be happier... About the way he was played, he's great. He is fantastic. Yeah, they picked a no name. I, I can't even think of his name. I don't know. Top of my head. Yep, they picked a no name. He has been in like, you know, I think he was in some like daytime soap operas, maybe or something on like a CW that's on like a. He like, was 10 background. At night. He was background on a movie with a featured speaking yep. role. That's and, all I remembered yep. him from. And he is so fantastic in that role of what. Bullseye actually is, which is just a tortured youth who grows up and just is just so pissed at everybody yeah. that he doesn't even want to. He legit, like, th the best thing about Bullseye, as far as the character, is that he's not necessarily bad. He's just not bad. Like, he's not like you're necessarily, like, he has a point to what he does. 
Yeah. Like, there's no, like, I want to make it, like, a ton of money, like, as far as other bad guys go, as, as far as being hired by, like, the Kingpin. And there's been so many characters that are ha- been hired by the Kingpin. It's always Absolutely. about the same thing. It's always been about, like, uh, money and power and things like that. And the thing about Bullseye is that he's the complete opposite of all those. He just does not care about money. He just wants absolute chaos. It's the fact that he just hates the fact that he is alive in the first place. And that he is so talented at what he does. Which is killing people. Which is killing people with anything that he can with actually grab. anything he can get his hands on. Yeah. And that's what he likes to do. And it's just about... It's not about how much power he has. It's not about, you know... If he's the best, it's just about how much absolute chaos he can create in the smallest scale and the biggest scale, and that's what makes him such a, a dynamic terrible character. threat. Yeah, yeah, and it's he will kill. He's the guy who he's not looking to kill an entire city. He's the guy who will kill your mother just because he knows that it will make you mad. And uh, one of the best, one of the best comic like I always tell you this, but one of the best comic books ever written. Is the the Kevin Smith Daredevil uh, Marvel Knight series where Bullseye kills Karen Page? Now, yeah. if you are familiar with the TV show, uh, Karen Page is a prominent figure in the TV show. But in that series, Karen Page is actually killed off in the Daredevil series by Bullseye. It's also a huge Mysterio plot and things like that where. That's actually how Mysterio dies is in that plot as well. And then, uh, but man, it's such a, a great, it's it's the only comic really that Kevin Smith has really ever written. It's just so good. It's I it, of all the things that Kevin Smith you think that he would pick the right, that he would have the option to write. The fact that he, he picked wrote a, a really great, a really good Daredevil, really good Bullseye. Yeah, and he wrote a really good Bullseye as a main character, and uh, you know, good for him because. There's not many people that write Daredevil that well, besides, like, Frank Miller. The entire, like, Daredevil series, really, that you're watching on Netflix is all based off of uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil. That's, yeah. Yeah. The whole Electra meeting and everything like that, that, that's all Frank Miller's Daredevil. But, man, like, kids miss Daredevil if you ever get a chance to read it. It's just uh, I, lights out. I have read a couple, and I have read the excerpts that you have told me to, um a while ago. Yeah. I would say a couple years ago. And, um, I never, I never loved Daredevil. I thought he was cool. Um, I've always been into him, man with no fear. You know, I think he's a, I think he's a cool guy. And I think, you know, based purely off of what you described, it sounded more like you were describing a Joker, uh, that is really great at killing people. Daredevil, Daredevil is a weird character because he's he doesn't really have he has for a, Bullseye. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but even like Bullseye is written as far as a character for like Bullseye. Like the, a lot of things that people don't know about the character, like Bullseye is he's not just a he's not just a Daredevil villain. He's also been in, he's been a Spider-Man villain. He's been a Punisher villain. Sure, he has a he's the only there. As far as he I know, there are... He played Hawkeye on the uh, Thunderbolts? Yep. There are three characters, as far as in the comics, that have an adamantium skeleton. And that is Wolverine, Lady Deathstrike, and Bullseye. Bullseye sure. also has an adamantium skeleton. And that's why every time he takes an ass-whipping by anybody, he has a constant healing factor as well. 
I so, didn't know that. Yep. So he also has the adamantium. I'm pretty sure I'm saying adamantium skeleton. Adamantium. But, yeah, adamantium. Yes. But he has also he's one of the three Marvel characters, as far as I know, that I can remember off the top of my head, that have the adamantium skeleton, and he's the third. And he paid to have his bones reinforced by adamantium. He doesn't have the the full skeleton like Wolverine does, but he has his bones reinforced, reinforced. with him. So That's pretty dope. He's almost uh, indestructible himself as far as taking ass whoopings and things like that. So That's pretty that's pretty badass. I didn't remember that about him. That's, it, that's a fun fact. Yeah, it's a one of those things. It's just this you know, like even like Daredevil himself, I think the reason why I like Daredevil himself is that he's just such an anti hero. Like yeah. He's another guy that's just like I don't really want to save people and just kind of you know like doing my own thing yeah you know what I mean and then same way he doesn't Bullseye's care if people yeah. he doesn't care if people get killed he's just trying to do what he would consider the justice that is missed exactly. out like, yeah. by the system he's trying exactly. to clean up the uh, the ones that get away he's actually like led some of the um, he's like, Dexter like yeah he's actually led some of the uh, like there's a uh, he's led um, some of the bigger villain groups in Marvel at one point. Like, he uh, takes over for Elektra at some point. Um, I mean, he's been a villain. Daredevil's actually been a villain before in some of the, the comics before. So Oh, I have no doubt. I have so, no doubt. Yeah, he's been a villain, and, and that's what makes him such a He doesn't character. have rules where a lot of other people do. Exactly. I, 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 yeah. I do know that about him. Yeah. Um, reining it back a little bit, you ever get around to seeing... Uh, the new Halloween? I don't think we ever talked about it. I haven't. You have Danny seen McBride? It. No, yeah. I haven't. I know we talked about it on your last yeah. episode, which is I was the only excited reason to see why it, I brought it and up. I, I just never got to see it. Yeah, we got to talk about it. Let me know when you do. Um, yeah. I don't have many thoughts on it, but I would be interested to hear what you have to say yeah. about it. Because I just know that you at least appreciate the first one. The I appreciate origi- the originals. The original. Yeah, the original stuff that came out. I haven't got a chance to see it, but... Uh, I've always been a big, like, Jamie Curtis fan, Jamie Lee Curtis fan, so I am kind of excited to see it. I just haven't got the opportunity to see it so far, so what? She was good. Yeah. She was fun. Good. Is there anything else horror-related that you've got your hands on recently, or anything relevant? Oh, I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see. The, the last thing that I really, like, super excited to see, I can't wait to see, uh, was that Jordan Peele's new movie coming out? Uh, us. Uh, yeah. Oh my goodness. Us. Us looks phenomenal. Yeah. I showed that to uh, Terry the Tickler, yeah. and he orgasmed over yeah. the trailer. Oh he my was goodness. like, he was like, this is perfect. This yeah. is gonna it, be. It so is so good. outrageous looking, and uh, and not at the same time. Yeah, it really is, and it's, it really looks terrifying. Yeah. Like Lupita Nyong'o's performance yeah. near the end of that trailer, where she's like, "You better be careful." Yeah. She says it in like a really creepy way and mm-hmm. then starts to laugh like like that is terrifying and the way those kids are acting the way this it seems to me like peel is making the movies i wanted m night to make yeah. later in his career but he's just doing it better it's a weird thing like there's um there's always been this story where like um they talk about like comedians how comedians have the darkest mind because it's weird when you're when you're a person that can make somebody laugh you reach these like super highs and you make other people laugh like that's what you do as your job you hit these super highs and you make people laugh but the other side of that is that when you're not making people laugh 
you would hit this You're low super point. low. You're super low. And when you get to that point, yeah. the ideas that are just popping into your head are just so absolutely wild. Now, he turned down, I, I forget, he turned down a major, I, I'm trying to think of what movie he turned down. Akira. To make, is that what he turned down? He turned down Akira. To make this. To, to make... Us. No, he turned down... He turned down a major he turned down movie. He, he turned down Akira after Get Out. That's all okay. I know. I know he turned down a, a... He turned down like a serious... He turned down a, a movie besides Akira. But he turned down another like... I thought Akira was huge. Him turning that down surprised me. I also wouldn't have wanted him to do Akira. I I'd rather him do more yeah. like projects he, like yeah, this. Exactly. Like I know he is currently signed on for the remake of the Twilight Zone series. That's what I might for, be, yeah. yeah. But but he didn't walk away from that. Yeah, he didn't he walk, si- there's he, just something that he walked away from that was huge and that I'm was gonna give it to him. I'm gonna give it a look because yeah. the only thing that comes to mind is Akira. But. I remember I remember hearing something that, that was big that he walked away from, but literally like the way his mind is working right now. And the, the the screenplays that he's writing, the movies that he's directing, I it it's literally what you, you always hear about like comedians and stuff like that how they hit these low places where well even Robin Williams the, yeah, did exactly. uh, what one hour photo yep. uh, death to Smoochie um, insomnia oh no Robin Williams was not insomnia, insomnia. no yeah um, insomnia what's it called um, he did death to Smoochie did one hour photo he did the the death one. The one with um, people reliving their their like death memories and coping. What was that? Oh one? no, that was uh, what dreams may come. No, that one's about the wife that he's trying yeah, to save yeah, from yeah. hell. Yeah. No, there's another one where he um, he he tried to get into uh, people's memories when they're. Ex- it was really dark. Yeah. Um, I, I do forget what it's called though. Um, I'll have to find it. I'm still looking for. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, like, in, but but you hear all these things about, like, uh, these comedians, about how when, especially when you, you hear all these comedians, how they, they all die of... I just want everyone to know it's really hard to find out what people don't do. Yeah. But I know there was something. Yeah. Because like, right like, now it's hard, to, it's hard to Google what Jordan Peele didn't make. That would be hard. <laughs> <laughs> There's, um... But like like guys like like uh, even guys like Chris Farley, Belushi, yeah, all those guys like big comedians like they had this. They always talk about like why are these guys like turning it? Like, and I think it's just because they're just such a huge dark spot. Mitch Hedberg, you know, all those guys. Like where do they turn to when uh, they're not making people laugh? Yeah, it's you know cla- I mean? it's classic Pagliacci, the really uh, the clown. Yeah, that story is resonant and. Uh, I think Jordan Peele just turned his attention into making some of the best horror movie set that's been out there in probably the last five, ten years. So, because I, 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 we haven't seen like Get Out was something else, but Get Out was great. This this movie coming out looks absolutely outrageous. I'm gonna have to go to Wikipedia, aren't I? It's like the only place where they're gonna. Mushroom, mushroom mentioning guy. what what Jordan Peele might not have done. I like I like mushroom guy Let's go. walking up and shooting some guy in the head while we're watching this. It's like hey, that's <laughs> in the background. <laughs> I'm trying to find it. Be patient with me. <laughs> I need to know. Other than Akira, what has Jordan Peele walked away from? All right, looking at career. 
Going to After Get Out. Let's see. I'm pretty sure there's something else besides Akira. Rebooting Twilight Zone. Yeah. He's producing a remake of Candyman. Yeah. Relevant. Yeah. yeah. Did hear about that. That'll be good. That's his next one. Doing Candyman. He ain't directing. Yeah. He's producing. But that's good yeah. enough for me. Yeah. If anyone knows what Jordan Peele <laughs> may have also declined. Besides Akira? Yeah. My heater. Do you think the house is about to explode? Yeah. Is that scary? That's not. Is that scary right there? That was terrifying. <laughs> it sounded like someone fell. Honestly, that that scared me. I always wonder what my what my uh my neighbors think when that happens. I bet you could probably actually hear that on the microphone. How loud that is. Makes me want to go back and look. Yeah. I think it's that. I think it's, it's one, right there. one of those two thuds right there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, isn't that crazy? No, that scared the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> Everybody that comes over says that they're like, "Holy shit, man!" Like, <laughs> they always seem like something's about to blow to the roof. Warner Bros. approached him to spearhead Akira. Has that even been cast yet? A lot of money. No. Anything like that? Like, no, I don't yeah. think so. Last rumors were DiCaprio, Bale. Who would they play in that? I don't know, man. Robert Pattinson, Garrett Hedlund, multiple people were were attached. I have no idea, man, because all I've heard about the Akira American is botched. Yeah. It's terrible. How would you do that? It's terrible. How would you do that? Like, I don't, I don't understand how you would try how to you would do a Akira. Action. Yeah. Um, you do Akira faithfully, and it's gonna look weird. But, um, I'm starting to think people don't have a problem with that. Looking at um. How, uh, what's his name, Rodriguez is doing Alita Battle Angel, I actually think Akira... You have to do that pure CGI as a main character. Akira yeah. could... Well, not everyone is CGI in Alita. You got Christoph Waltz be walking around yeah. being totally normal. You'd have but to do you the have kids. to do... No. No, you could still have the kids, but... Oh, you mean the telepathics? Yeah. The, yeah. Oh, they would have to be prosthetic. Yeah, I always call them... Prosthetic yeah, that's nightmares. what I'm saying. I always call them... Well, they're the main characters of the story. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. The mm. little freaks. I don't know. They could be, they could be, special effects prosthetics. But you know, when when he really starts to go, technomancer on everyone, he needs uh, that. That absolutely needs to be both Live a action. mix of a mix of practical and CGI in order to pull we, off we the light to. bikes. Absolutely, sure. Uh, need to be really great practical and CGI if you can do effects. Tron, if you can do Tron, you can do light bikes. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's just like, do they have the ability to make Akira good? Absolutely. Are they going to? No, no because with be. America behind it, it has to be America based, and they're sure. never going to do a Japanese, you know. Uh, but even even satire. It's not. It's not even huge that. Uh, I don't think anything really about Akira is really nationally based, as far as anything. Like, I don't think it's really based. In, if you really think about, it, there's no real part of that. It's like. This is Japanese, aside from the fact that it was written by a, you know, just Japanese uh, I mean, other, like other than the whole, the whole metaphor for Akira is the, you know, the nuclear bomb, how it, how it ruined Japan. Sure. You know, that, that's really the only thing. And, you know, if America were to sure. do their version of Akira, it's almost like the people who dropped the bomb are explaining. Yeah. 
all over again why they dropped sure. the bomb. So, like, that's the worst part about America doing Akira is that you lose all metaphorical sense of what Akira meant I'm, I'm to the Japanese people. Yeah. I'm afraid that you're a step away from doing a basically the, uh, the live-action Dragon Ball Z movie that they made. Ball Evolution. Movie. You yeah. ha- you run a fine line of not being yeah. serious enough to exactly. do it. Like um, what movie did I watch recently where I was like, "This is just Dragon Ball. Like this is they're fighting like they would in Dragon Ball. So why don't we have a good Dragon Ball movie?" I forget what I was watching. You can't just add a good director to a movie and necessarily think that it's going to be good. Like, uh, like I don't of, know if the... Jordan Peele would have done a good Akira. Yeah, I really I, that's don't. what I mean. Like I, it's so, tough. In in the way the best way to describe this is that. Uh, there is the Percy Jackson series, and it's one of the, probably you know one of the most iconic preteen teenagers, adult yeah, young adult series that's ever been made, ever been made. And to direct it, they had Christopher Columbus come in, and the if same you don't guy know, who had done yep, Harry Potter. Yep, if you don't know what Christopher Columbus done, he did the first two uh, Harry Potter movies, uh-huh. and he also did the Percy Jackson series, and the different like they literally thought like, hey, we can get. We could strike lightning twice. Yeah, we can get Pierce Brosnan to come in, play a main character. We can get Uma Thurman to come in, play a main character. We can do whatever we want because we have Christopher Columbus, who did the first Harry Potter movies, come in and do this. And it was an absolute train, train wreck. wreck. It's a train it's wreck. Garbage. It's garbage. And only now garbage. did I recently find out that it's going to Broadway. Percy Jackson is on Broadway. I don't know how. Don't know why, it's but he's going to be nuts. running around singing... About his what the, what, what, what god parents. Possibly, I don't fucking know. Yeah, what could you possibly do in a Broadway series of Percy Jackson? Regardless. Yeah. Terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really is. You know, what, you know what I found out was greenlit and America can absolutely get away with? Is the Attack on Titan live adaptation. They absolutely can do that. And if they, if they fuck that up, then America is not allowed to make any... Adaptations of anything anymore. Yeah. I if you if you do Attack on Titan, I mean, there's there's so many good. It's a European cast. We're allowed to. Like it's that. an anime it that is. we're allowed to cast all white people yeah. for. So if America screws that up, then we're idiots. It, it really it's also is. a horror, and it's also special effects that we can pull off. If we can make Spider-Man look good, we can make the 3D exactly. maneuvers look good. I mean, it, if we can make Godzilla yeah. look good, we can make those Colossus, uh, exactly. the, the Titans look there's, good. There's no reason why you can't do that. And there's no reason why you can't cast a well. There's no reason why you can't turn into a, a decent uh, action movie and get people excited about it. And then carry it on for a movie or two. Like, there's no reason for that. Though. So, yeah. So we're, we're talking about, oh my gosh. Back on we, we got so much, yeah. We're talking about so much stuff going on. I think we, uh... I think we gotta rein it in and start doing a little bit of stories. Start doing a little bit of storytelling. Right, stories. We are at a half hour. We've talked about a bunch of horror. We've talked about anime. Yeah. You know we uh, we really enjoyed uh, Cowboy Bebop. So it's like I don't know how much anime you you still watch, but there's I do. there's I do some good horror though. anime out there. There is. Yeah. High School of the Dead and things like that. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like that so much. <laughs> Like yeah, I'm just joking. I uh, watched um, yeah. what was it? I watched the other day. I watched um, Devil Man Cry Baby, and that that ending right there was a uh, was a lot. Yeah. Uh, someone uh, someone name dropped gnarly Charlie. Uh, he and I are watching uh, the Berserk 
I know Disco Disco he loves D. It. Disco D yeah. really loves Berserk too. He uh, I usually make fun of him because he will read and reread the manga manga like twelve times, and he'll be like, "You got to borrow these from me," and then I ask him, and he never gives them to me. So. Yeah, I would. I would love to read Berserk. It's like Dante's Inferno for weeaboo nerds. Of course really? I would love to read that. Yeah, it's a guy trying to save his uh, honey from the underworld. Berserk has been fights, around for... He fights demons and horsemen forever. of the apocalypse and shit. Berserk has been around Berserk has been going on since, like, the 80s. Oh, well, Absolutely. It's been a long, it's been a long time. Berserk was still, one of the first, like, ultra-violence... still going on. Yes. Some Just say he's still on that boat to this day. He says, like, uh, maybe, like, the original, like, heavy metal... Like Berserk, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Berserk was like when the first like come to America like super ultra violent stuff that was written. And then you we said heavy like, metal, yeah. and you, you know what I watched last night with Gnarly Charlie that, that I totally forgot to talk about. Mandy, I showed uh-huh. an, I showed another person Mandy. Yeah. Whenever anyone asks me what my favorite movie of twenty eighteen was, I always say Mandy, and um, Mandy has been one of my favorite things that I've watched. In a very long time. Okay. Have you seen it? I have not seen Mandy. Nicolas Cage losing his goddamn mind after losing his honey. And he uh, he will never be the same. And it's just great. How far how, where would you put that as far as Nicolas Cage performances? One of his best. It's gonna be, best? It's going to be career defining. You really think so? Watch it. You think it's like Leaving Las Vegas? No. People will okay. put Adaptation and Leaving Las Vegas over a lot of things. But okay. I would say... It is going to go down in history as one of his top ten most defining performances. Okay. Well, that's fair. Nicholas Cage has done some amazing stuff. He and really he's has. It, it, he's, he's done, done some done amazing some stuff and he's done some garbage. But my, my favorite but thing about Mandy Nicolas is going to be in the top. Whatever he wants. He absolutely. Yeah, he just does. He absolutely does, and he absolutely can. Did you do that? Or am I did that by accident. <laughs> you made that horse over there get off just by touching it. I might have stroked its hair by you accident. Its hair. Yeah. Is that what it, it yells when you stroke its hair? It does. Is that your daughter's toy? Yeah. Or is it your toy? It's my toy. I ride it around. <laughs> I ride it around and I stroke its hair. But like Nicholas Cage Cage doing uh leaving Las Vegas where he just literally just decides that he's gonna drink himself to death is fantastic. It's one way. He has a scene much like that in Mandy. Does really? Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it really is. It like, begs yeah. to question whether or not that's actual vodka he is chugging. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where like he does these movies where he does some really horrible stuff. Bicker Man. Oh, God, he's done some horrible stuff, but he does things where you're watching it and you're like, Bad Lieutenant. You can, you can absolutely relate to everything that he does. Yeah. You know. Like, especially, like, leaving Las Vegas is the dark side of everybody. I think at some point that when people, I that, think people of, that suffer from depression have absolutely hit that point where they're, like... Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? And that's... I think that's what made it such a popular character is that it was When I think so of relatable. good Nicolas Cage movies, my mind says Gone in 60 Seconds, uh, Adaptation, okay. uh, Leaving Las Vegas... Even Gone in 60 Seconds was a kind of like Sorcerer's Apprentice. I don't like Sorcerer's Apprentice. You don't like so that much. movie? I like, I like Gone in 60 Seconds. Do you really? More than Sorcerer's Apprentice? More than Sorcerer's Apprentice. Do you? Absolutely. Gone in 60 Seconds doesn't have a Bon Republic soundtrack song. Yeah, that's the, that's the <laughs> point. And then I think of like Mandy. Gone in 60 Seconds is Moby. I think of Mandy. I think of Con Air. Okay. Oh, there you go. I think of... Uh, 
at least the first National Treasure. I think it's a charming film. Yeah? I think it's a great family-friendly, you know, Indiana Jones adventure. It's complete malarkey. It's yeah. it's it's bullshit through and through. You really like Con Air? I do like Con Air. Yeah, I know. It. It's so easy to I watch. I think Con Air has... You Con Air has this 80s feel. Oh, man. It is one of like, the last like real true action movies. It, like, really it really is. is. And yeah. it has a wonderful cast. Steve Pujemi plays a fucking... He does. Crazy, crazy serial killer. killer. Malkovich. Uh, Ma- John Malkovich plays yeah. the main bad yeah. guy. Fucking get, Cyrus get, the Virus. Uh, Malkovich, Danny Trejo. You get a... Uh, What's the big black guy from... Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames is in that, yeah. Oh, there's so many good characters into that. And then uh, you had a... Uh, that was... Uh, John, John Cusack. What's his name? Bubba. John Cusack plays the detective trying to help. Yeah. Trying to square him away. And what what's his face plays his partner from Star Trek? Yep, from Star Trek. Yes. What's his the, fucking name I from Star know. Trek? Oh, the guy with curly hair. Yes. Curly, curly hair. Curly hair Irish guy. Angry guy. Yep, curly hair Irish Irish guy. He was also in uh, like Under Siege and about a thousand other movies. And then uh, who else is in that movie? Uh, you also have Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle's also in that movie. And Connor. Yeah. yeah. Yes, oh, there's so many. Yeah, there's so many guys in that movie. Yeah, it really is truly one of like, the last like original like Michael Bay style. Oh, movies. you just reminded me. Yeah. The Rock. Yeah. I love The Rock, man. Yeah. The Rock is one of my favorite. Uh, one of my favorite Nick Cage movies, definitely. That has one of the best. Uh, one of the best lines in it. It's uh, Sean Connery. And he says. Uh, what does he say? He says, uh, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm trying to, oh, I'm going to draw a blank on it. It's, uh, oh. You really don't remember. Oh my God, it's so good. I said, or, uh, Nicholas Cage says, I'll do my best. He said, your best? Winners don't do your best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he does. does. And Carla was the prom queen. He said, he was? Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, did that Sean Connery accent. Yeah. That's what he said. What yeah, do you like do you t- And then like 10 minutes later, yeah. he's like, by the way, my wife was prom queen. <laughs> yeah. Your best? Yeah. I love that Sean Connery. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. He does say that, and it is a great line. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They go home to fuck the prom queen. Yeah. Sean Connery accent. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're a man now, Doc. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's what's all the time. Yeah. Same Forrester. You're the man now, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> and this An is, old and this, Irish old Irish and man. This is how our episodes yeah. get to forty yeah, minutes yeah, yeah. and we haven't touched anything. Old yet. Irish man chess movie with uh, Derek Luke. Where they just play chess. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Alright then. Now we're gonna read stuff. <laughs> now we're gonna read stuff. I gave I gave a couple options, but it's it's late and <laughs> we got stuff we want to do, so uh, we do have a couple things we could read here. Okay. I don't know why I held this story for you. I often find out later as we're reading it why I held on to stories for people, but for some reason I have a story here called Fireflies from Reddit No Sleep. And um, all it can make me think of right now is that terrible Owl City song. I think uh, I, the, the first word I kind of see in the story as I'm looking at it is the fact that it just says children. And the fact that I <laughs> I just don't like them. 
<laughs> so you, your immediate reaction is it says something about children. Yeah. So I'm not going to like it. Yeah. That's the very first thing I kind if of. If you is, are uh, tuning in to episode 121, folks, yeah. then you may have missed Scutch McGee's last three episodes. <laughs> Scutch <laughs> McGee was in I think 54, 68, and 73, something along those lines. And just go to his playlist. Don't don't. Yeah. Take my numbers. Take my numbers for granted. Go to his playlist and just listen to his episodes because all three of your episodes are really fun. But we talk for a long time about completely irrelevant shit. What should we do right now? And then Which we hop. Like and then we hop into a completely pointless story. Yeah. But we but we reminisce about the things about the story, sure. and what we reminisce about are the things that scare us. Sure. And one of the things that scares you the most are children. Yeah. And I so have we're we're not gonna get into yeah. it. Because there are three other episodes about dedicated. How we talk about how much I hate. We toilets. read yeah. so many stories about creepy children, haunted children, ghost children, murdered children, monsters and children, monster children, and <laughs> just so many like toys, yeah. dolls, clowns, anything related to children. Yeah. We have read it on his episodes, so give those episodes a listen Pet because cemetery, they are good. Not my thing. Yeah. Pet cemetery. <laughs> Opposite of what he wants to go into. Not my life. Yeah. So we are reading a story here called Fireflies from Reddit No Sleep. I've been told a lot of things in my life, and many of them were lies. As children were told that magic is real and the bad guys always loses. As teenagers were told deviation is dangerous and conformity is paramount. And as adults were promised the perfect bliss of a family. The peace that old age will eventually bring. And none of these are true, of course. Being a slightly cynical man, it therefore came as a surprise to me that the most wonderful thing I had ever been promised came true. They say a mother loves her baby as soon as it's within her, and her father falls in love with his child the first time he holds it. Staring down on those gorgeous baby blues and that bundle gently writhed in my arms, I wept. My heart pulsed and throbbed in overwhelming sensation, and I could scarcely believe I'd ever really known what was love for that moment. She was perfect, and she was mine. And we named her Sophia. So it's about children. Of course it is. And here we continue <laughs> to read. Yes. <laughs> we never had any more children after Sophia, but we never wanted any either. Sophia became our world, and what a utopian world it was. For long she had grown into a precious little scamp with golden tresses, a button nose, and brilliant azure eyes that seemed to grow deep blue and with each passing month. They were the happiest years of my life, when every day seemed to leak into the next like a blissful dream that was without end. But it didn't, of course, as all dreams must. My wife's death was just a shattering, chilling awakening, and the entire affair left me only thankful that she had passed swiftly on the operating table and had not been forced to endure months of needless suffering. The grief was almost more than I could bear, and I found solace in the only place I could look for it, at the bottom of a bottle. And things might have gone on this way forever, drunk and useless, throwing away what left of my life was, had it not been for Sophia. One dark night, I was a handle deep, she crawled into my lap and curled her arms around my as much as she could and she buried her face in my chest and she said daddy she said in that voice that would put a choir of angels to shame daddy please please don't be sad she's waiting for us daddy we'll see her again i had tried to believe this before and even she insisted with such conviction i still could not trick myself to accepting it but it was not enough for me to, she believed believed it hard enough for both of us I put down the bottle in that moment i have not picked it up again in the two decades since Things weren't okay that night, but in time, they once were more. And though the dream never returned, we found happiness. The season changed, years passed, Sophia grew from an adorable scamp to a breathtakingly gorgeous young woman in what now seems like a blink of an eye. 
She attended school, made friends, found and lost aspirations, had her heart broken, and broke more than one, I am sure, and lived her life in an insatiable passion for the world's wonders and mysteries. I could be forgiven for fearing that my little angel would outgrow me, but blessedly, she seems to realize even this. Several times a week, she would insist we go for a walk together, and in on those walks, she would tell me all there was to her life. She was never afraid I would judge her or condemn her for her things she revealed to me, and I never did. Offer her advice and perspective as gently as I could. She seemed in better spirits after I counseled her on her problems. Our walks would always end in the same place, a small clearing in the woods a few blocks from our house. It attracted a lovely host of fireflies in the spring and summer, and dancing lights drifting away in the darkness always delighted her. But children grow up and cannot remain ours forever, and I knew that. And while I cannot say this was entirely without jealousy and concern with when Sophia began dating, I did my best to respect her choices and begin her independence. It was harder still when she left for college, leaving me for this first time in almost three decades alone. Letting her leave was one of the most difficult things I've ever done, but standing in the way of her happiness would have been even harder. I grew accustomed to solitude, though I was always overjoyed whenever she returned home. That is, of course, until she brought home Vaughn. Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn. Fred Claus. That's what I remember. That's not exactly <laughs> what I'm picturing now. Vince Vaughn right now. Just... It's not Vince Vaughn from, like, Psycho or uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99. It's, it's Vince Vaughn purely from yeah. Fred Claus. Fred Claus. Not Wedding Crashers, just not... completely horrible. Uh, just drawn out Vince Vaughn. <laughs> Not for hot like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this Just the all. worst Vince yeah. Vaughn you could think of. Give me $25 million to get out of my way. You might expect that I hated him because he was almost 10 years your senior. You might expect that I hated him because he married to another woman only two years prior. You might expect that I hated him because he, she was so desperately in love with him. But none of these quite the truth. The honest truth is I just hated him. And for reasons I could only later put my finger on. I hated the way he looked at her. A sly predator, only barely masking his ravenous hunger. I hate the way he smiled at me, a smug, almost sneering grin that seemed to hold as much malice as mirth. Most of all, I hate the way he talked to me. Oh, don't worry, sir, he would say in an intoxicating voice laced with honey venom. Don't worry, I'll take good care of her. You just rest yourself. I'll take care of everything, sir. He talked to me like I was old, and damn fact, I was old. But I hated the fact that he could see that, and I hated it more that Sophia seemed to see it too. He put me in my past, made me obsolete and relevant. He replaced me. Sophia came home less and less after she found Vaughn, and every time she did, he came too. I knew Sophia was smart, I knew he was clever, and she was perceptive, and I hoped. I knew it would only be a matter of time before she saw through the slimy bastard's sin disguise and saw him for the cretin he was. In each passing visit, each heated argument with her, each canceled trip, each strained phone call, I hoped a little less. Still, there were a few good times he had, be had, and Sophia still permitted me those summer walks to find the fireflies in our clearing. Finally, the time came when he visited without any beggar coercing on my part, and I secretly knew and dreaded what he meant. I expected them to just tell me, but they didn't. He asked me, pretending like I had any choice or say in the matter. I saw through his game even then, but I fell into his trap anyway. I can still hear a shrieking voice begging me to stop as I dragged him to the front porch and threw him onto the cold ground. And I snarled at him, barking that he would never have her. He would never put a ring on my little girl's finger. She wailed and wept, rushing to pick him up, and he rose and just looked at me, flashed me that sickly sweet smile, and said, that's all right, sir. I don't need your permission for what I intend to do. They left, and when they came home for lunch the following day, as we had arranged, I began to worry. The next day I called, and next and next, now consumed with anxiety, I phoned the college to ask if she had returned only knowing that she hadn't. I panicked. The police were initially reluctant to take me seriously, but after days passed with no word from her, even they began to grow concerned. Meanwhile, I sat alone in my empty house, constantly fighting the urge to return to a place I had given up 
that Sophia that night. I crawled into my lap decades ago, then it hit me. I don't know why it had taken so long or how the idea struck me with such certainty, but I still only knew where my daughter was. I ran dead and sprinted all in the woods, slowly only when I began to see the faint glimmer of fireflies against the fiery horizon of the sinking dust. By the time I reached the clearing, it was almost pitch black, but the light of the fireflies made it seem all too vivid. I cannot and will not describe what he did to her in any detail. The expression of anguish on her face was so complete and profound that it tore my heart to pieces instantly. She was so twisted and mangled and gnarled that I could scarcely attribute what had once been my angel to remain before my eyes. It seemed more like some grim doll, a gruesome mimic of what it had been. I collapsed, crawling towards what most of her naked, violated corpse lay, and for how long I wept, shrieked, and howled in the torment I cannot recall. The fireflies seemed to close in around me, swirling about me and crawling with torn openings of her flesh, wriggling through her eyes and her gaping mouth. They committed me to a mental institution for the next three months, but there isn't much of that time that I remember. My dreams haunted my distant pinpricks of floating light, and the knowledge that my world was empty. The fury that the police told me that they could not find it was only matched by my nausea that overtook me when she told me that she had been pregnant. I replaced my infinite grief with newfound purpose. I came to know everything there was to know about him. His name, his childhood, his friends, his family, his failed marriage, his public passion, and his dark desires. I went from being utterly computer illiterate of an internet junkie solely for the purpose of digging out of every scrap of information there was on him. But as try as I might, I could not find him. Six months after Sophia's death, I finally began. I finally beginning to feel truly and heavily defeated. These were becoming increasingly disparate and desperate, and Vaughn seemed so far. <laughs> Both. Yeah, and Vaughn seemed so far has gone forever out of reach. I stumbled a flu block through the woods, drunk for the first time in more than twenty years. The fireflies were still there, but they seemed now to taunt me as much as they welcomed me. Their haunting lights looking just the same as they had the night I found her. I collapsed just as I had then, but I actually think I wept more this time. Several times I considered breaking the bottle, clutching my fist in a way that might allow me to finish myself, but some measure of resolve or cowardice prevented me. I wallowed away, watching the hours and then my sorrow until dawn's coming began to bathe the fireflies' yellow glow with an orange hue. And then that new day, the fresh beginning came to me, an idea that erased a deep frown on my face and replaced it with a jubilant, beaming smile. I laughed for only moments I had cried, rising to my feet with the thought that filled me with once more the purpose and anticipation. Really, I had been there all along. I had known the key to her for months, but it was not until I had a moment that it clicked into my place. I didn't need to find him at all, because he has a daughter, and I know where she lives. Revenge. Is it worth it? Man, it's hard to... Like, even reading that... The daughter has nothing to do with the father's mistakes, so... You just want them to feel what you're feeling. That's that's no fault of the person thinking it. But, you know, it's a murky area of justice, you know? It's, um, it's hard to... Is Batman allowed to kill the person who killed his parents? It's not even that. It's not even, it's not even that. It's, um, even, like, when you talk about, like, like Batman... Because it, it's not his kids... That's true. Yeah, so it, you're it's, it's in a whole different. It's a whole different it. dynamic of yeah, it. It's, that's it's, true. it's one thing if it's your parents, um, but being your child, but, being your flesh. Because when you're blood. when you're when it, for someone for if your parents, God forbid, anything ever happens to your parents, your parents are the ones that are supposed to protect you. So if anything would happen to parents, I don't think that you would feel, you would feel some kind of resentment. But I don't think it would be the same as like you would feel as your inability to protect your kids if you have kids like reading that i'm thinking of my 
like four year old, and as she grows up and becomes whatever she wants to yeah. be, if anything were ever happened to her and some guy would do something like that to me, what would I do? And I fully think that I would absolutely murder everyone he loves, lose my absolute mind. Yeah. Now that's a horrible thing to say. That's going to live forever on the internet, but. <laughs> but that's why you're anonymous. But, that's yeah, why we'll know yeah, whenever, exactly. no one will ever figure yeah. out who you are. Even if I get doxxed, yeah. no one else is going to be drawn back so, to this. Yeah, exactly. So, but, I am the one entryway and I will never snitch I my mean, friends. Honestly, it's, um, it, it's one thing when you have kids that like I am supposed to protect this person. And then if yeah. you feel like you cannot do that or something happens to that person, you feel like you didn't do your job. Your immediate response isn't its failure, which he experiences, and then it's that feeling of revenge, like, I'm going to take everything I have. You know, it's that uh, moment in uh, Liam Neeson. Taken. Taken. Exactly. It's that Taken. moment right there. It's that moment where, yeah. you know, you have my kid, and I'm going to do um, everything I have. What, what's, an, what's a horror example? Uh, was it Last House on the Left? Last House on the Left, yeah. The daughter comes home stumbling in yeah. near death. And the parents have taken in the family that had done this to the daughter, and they only find out when one of the youngest realizes that the girl that they tried to stab and kill and raped and murder um, is, is the daughter of the person who is trying to help them. And when those parents find out, and their daughter mm-hmm. tells them that the people they are holding yep. and protecting are the people that did that to her, yeah. oh, that, that father and that mother... Make yeah. it their sole it duty sure. to murder all four of those people one of in the most, gruesome uh, fucking ways. One it's of the a most... great Wes Craven flick. I'm pretty sure it's Wes. It is. This is first, really first foray into a uh, movie making. Last House on the Left, the original Last House on the Left. Yeah, man. It's known for the Oli biting a guy's junk off, spitting nice. it out into water. Nice. Yeah, that actually happens. But um, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's uh. Also, just to throw back into that, one of the most iconic movie series of all time that people tend to forget is based around that simple fact, and that is Friday the 13th. It's based on the fact that it's a mother's revenge of uh, her parent, kid. Yeah, yeah, parent killing for their exactly. child is very good. It's always, uh, it's always good to know that, like, you know, Jason is the main character after... Pamela has been killed. But the first story is completely based on the first chapter of that series is completely based on the fact that it's a mother's revenge on uh, counselors. And that's exactly what that is. It's one of my favorite. I'm actually... You're walking. Here you are. Here you are walking it. Yeah. I'm rocking a Friday the 13th shirt. Yeah, you are shirt. rocking a Friday the 13th shirt. It's, a, it's Japanese uh, kabuki like lion graphic, except it's the Jason mask instead of a kabuki lion face. So it has all these cool... Flowers and waves. I like it. But it's uh, Japanese. It's It's a dope shirt. So I'm going to read part two here because I just let you have part one. I knew Mm. you were feeling it in your parental glory there. So I'm going to read this one and and hope. Revenge. And hope the revenge. I hope the revenge is sweet. I like it. Revenge. Go for it. This one's called Illumination. And it makes me wonder whether there was a part three to this or not, but I don't actually know. My fingernails were finally starting to grow back. It was a stupid move to lose them like that in the first place, of course, but I wasn't thinking clearly then. Hell, I barely remember it at all. If it weren't for the grooves sheared into the inside lid of my box and the exact size of my fingernails, I'd have guessed that I lost them because he pried them off me. 
I'm surprised he didn't, but maybe he won't make that mistake again once they grow back. Or maybe he'll just try to drive me to tearing them off myself against the wood of my box, howling and shrieking in nightmarish terror and fury like I did the first time. But that was only two months after I was taken, and I still had both the mental fortitude and the meat on my bones to put up a fight. Am I reading from the daughter's perspective? I, I don't know. I'm not sure if that. I'm not sure if we're at the daughter's perspective yet, or at the fact that the dad might have lost trying to get his revenge. Perhaps he might have gotten captured. That's certainly interesting. So weird, uh, spot we're at right now. That was only two months after I was taken, and I had both the mental fortitude and the meat on my bones to put up a fight. It's harder now, and I can feel him winning this struggle by attrition, as day by day I waste away a little more and he feeds me just a little less. Time is like a watercolor painting in a thunderstorm here in the dark. I've stopped even trying to keep track of the days, but I have enough sense now to tell that my mind isn't entirely my own. The hunger is driving me into feral fits, but for how often and for how long, I cannot say. Sometimes I dream, though, and when I dream, it's almost always about her. She drifts through my mind and memories like a blessed angel, giving me hope where hope is lost and light where, the where there dwells only blackness. It may be just the effects of starvation, but it hardly seems real, the way things lurched so abruptly from being blissful happiness and harmony to this wretched existence of deprivation are, and darkness. Are we reading from the killer now? Are we reading from the, the husband? Her husband? Boyfriend? We I'm might still actually be reading from I'm her still trying to put now. it together. This is fantastic. I had been walking with her in the frigid winter air, but instead of being oppressive and unpleasant, the cold only served to intensify the deep pleasure of her hand in mine, the warmth of her flesh curled about my fingers. I had said something cheesy and trite, but she had giggled heartily anyway. You can always tell the way a girl feels about you by how she reacts to your bad jokes. Even my corny lines made her expression burst into one of amusement and warmth as though she could hardly contain her mirth to be with me regardless of my lame jokes. I remember smiling so much that my face almost ached with the exertion. Her eyes caught mine and I leaned in to kiss her for no reason at all. She smelled of cherry blossoms and lavender, a scent I found myself blissfully enveloped in between her body and the covers every night. Despite the trying efforts of the previous day, we were happy in that moment as we had been in so many others. As we walked towards my car parked a block down the road, I somehow couldn't stop myself from trying to tell her again how I loved her. Not just that I loved her, but how I loved her. She only laughed, touched my lips with a finger before I could finish, and winked. She knew. She had accepted me and my love without a second thought, forgiving the mistakes I had made earlier in my life and not at all, phased by the fact that I had a daughter from a previous lover she was my redemption. We floated down the cobblestone street together, pausing only for a brief snowball fight, scowling playfully about a rather lewd joke I'd made about the white flakes in her hair resembling something else. <laughs> my cum. She punched my arm <laughs> teasingly and tossed a shower of snow into my face. Cackling mischievously, she ran and I took off after her. Catching up with her just by my car, I snatched her up firmly into my arms and pulled her lithe, perfect form against mine. She melted against my body, curling into an embrace as though she had always belonged there. 
I gazed into her brilliant blue eyes, enjoying the last pristine moment with my love I would ever have. Her eyes flicked up over my shoulder and I could see the look of shock and horror on her face, the reflection in her baby blues of the club coming down on her head. Moments later, I was only just beginning to regain my senses. The blaring, stabbing pain in my head almost more than I could stand. The agony's paralysis was broken only when the howling pain cleared enough to hear her shrieking and sobbing, and the skittering sounds of her body writhing against the cold pavement. I finally opened my eyes only to catch a fleeting glimpse of a descending boot. I suspect it was the same night when I finally clawed my way back to consciousness, but it could have been the next, or even the next. I'd had been bound, gagged, and blindfolded, but the severity of my concussion was such that I'm not sure if I'd had been able to do much, even if I'd been free. Thoughts bled together in a constant litany of inscrutable internal dialogue, and all I can truly remember about that nightmarish night were the sounds because the bastard made me listen. I had never before and have only once since ever heard a human being make sounds as she did that night. The maddening howls and pitiful whimpers hardly seemed human. It conjured up images of slaughterhouses in my adult brain. But it was clear very early on that slaughtering her would have been a mercy for him. He brutalized, maimed, tormented, and violated her. And he wanted me to hear every yelp, every cry, every excruciating shriek of misery she ever uttered. Not long after that, he put me in the box. For months, I obsessed myself with racking my mind for why. Why keep me in this coffin? Why keep me alive? He never let me out, he never spoke to me, and he never concerned himself with me at all other than to deposit a stinking hunk of what could only liberally be called food through a slit in the top. There was a hole in the very bottom, large enough only to deposit that same sludge after it had gone through me. He never spoke, and I could see no more of him through the boards in my box than I had the night he'd taken me. At first I had screamed and begged until my vocal cords frayed to the point I could barely recognize my own voice anymore, and after that the rage set in. As I said, I was consumed with such outrage, such malevolence, such undying hatred that I clawed at the box's wooden interior until I'd pried my own fingernails off. The desperate hunger that would drive me to eating them from the bottom of my sarcophagus would only come later. My darling and my redemption had been torn from me, corrupted, abused, and destroyed by a nameless evil. Our love had of course not been perfect, our difference in age and the disapproval of in-laws had always been sullied things, but she had been perfect for me, and I had never wanted to be with someone so desperately. Now she lived only in my dreams. These were the darkest times, and for how long they dragged on I cannot say. I suspect it was weeks, though it was very certainly could have been much longer. What matters is that eventually the dark times ended. Indeed, I would later despise myself for allowing them to go on as long as they did, for though I had lost my love, I had only forgotten my little girl. And once I remembered her adorable face, the dark times faded away, the hope of seeing her again like a luminous sunbeam shearing through a thunderhead. I know without a doubt 
Had I not remembered the child waiting for her father's return, I'd have died of despair in that box. Hope, however, had defeated my demons for the moment, and I began to take action for the first time in months. The box was minuscule, but large enough to allow some degree of movement within. I stretched, squatted, pressed, and jogged in place as much as I could. Without attracting attention, my muscles had become atrophied and shrunken during my captivity, and though the strenuous activity made me pass out on more than one occasion, it was only a few weeks later that I could feel girth once more filling my muscles and vigor returning to my body. It took discipline to continue tormenting myself with exercise in that putrid pit convincing myself that an opportunity would come and I had to ensure I was strong enough to seize it. More time passed, and through my strength continued to return, I began growing less and less sure that it meant anything at all. In those times, I would remember my little princess's beaming smile or lilting giggle, and doubt would be defeated. And on the day I would later discover was six months after my capture that opportunity came. He approached me as he had every day for half a year, stepping down the wooden steps to what I had only assumed up until now was the basement I was held in, but instead of throwing in another heaping of moist goop, he began to shake and rattle my box. The breath caught in my chest and my entire body tensed with anticipation. This was new, and anything new might bring with it a chance I had lusted for. He pried out the third nail before I realized what he was doing. And it took every bit of my willpower to keep myself in check once I did. Throwing myself against the side might serve only to stop him or make him reconsider. Better he think I was weak and broken or even dead. So I simply stood, my grayed skin tingling with apprehension. The final nail removed, the side of the box creaked backwards, letting in a blinding surge of light that nearly fried my deteriorate redness. I pounced throwing myself against the wooden plank as it fell backwards, throwing my weight behind it and catapulting it forward. It struck him with a muted grunt, and as soon as he'd pushed it away, I was on him. Dazed by the impact of the wooden slab and lightly stunned at my sudden ferocity, he stumbled backward under my assault, tumbling to the floor with me atop him. Even though the effulgent, burning light consumed my vision, I could see the look of horror on his face as I grabbed a handful of his hair and slammed his head into the cold pavement. His head made a sickening thud as it connected with the ground, a sound I found deranged delight in. He opened his mouth to say something, or perhaps to just scream, but I simply continued beating his cranium into paste until he went slack beneath me. I could feel the blood oozing out of his brain, pooling onto the harsh cement beneath us, and then for the first time since I had heard those horrific shrieks months ago, she came to me. I was starved, panicked, deprived, and probably a little insane, but I swear even to this day that she was there. Standing at the foot of the stairs, wreathed in blinding light, she looked as gorgeous as ever. My darling love smiled, tilting her head to the side at me, gazing at me with such love and devotion as she had so many times before. Her eyes filled with adoration and compassion, she parted those plush lips and uttered a single word. Eat. Her voice echoed through the accursed basement, so, a sound so beautiful it could have put a chorus of angels to shame. I gawked 
my jaw hanging open in stunned shock. Eat, she repeated, giggling a little at my expression. I managed to tear my eyes away from her to look back at the abomination beneath me, and I could feel him begin to writhe weakly. Eat, she insisted, and as the not-yet-dead beast in my clutches started to stir, I was suddenly filled and consumed by the ravenous hunger that had plagued me for six months. Eat, she said, and I ate. My teeth sank into his jugular first, and meat that was surprisingly soft and delicate, it gave way under my jaw, and his sweet blood burst into my mouth. He lurched and wailed in pain, but it was quickly lost in the gushes of blood that filled his throat. Eat. I eagerly swallowed a mouthful, and a bit down again, this time getting more blood than flesh, I spat it out onto his face, contorted with a misery and panic he'd inflicted on so many others. My maw found another sweet section of the neck, and I ripped off a hearty helping of succulent meat. Eat. I moved down towards his flailing arm, snatching it in my voracious grip and bringing his bicep to my lips. He tried weakly to resist, but he was already suffocating on his own blood and could not prevent me from devouring the tough, sinewy muscle of his arm. Eat, she said, each time more encouraging and mirthful than the last. I gorged myself until I could squeeze no more of him into my stomach. Long after he had ceased convulsing and seizing in agony, I had never had a meal more delectable nor one more satisfying. I rolled off of him and lay on the spreading pool of his blood, the specter of my lost love now gone. She was gone from this world, I knew, but I smiled blissfully as I realized that I had just found a way to see her again. I don't know how long I slept after that, but once I awoke, I filled my belly with the slain Cretan once more and climbed the steps to my freedom. It took only a few hours to stumble through the thick woods his secluded cabin had been built in, though it took many more to flag down a passing motorist brave enough to offer a ride to the half-naked wraith with gray skin, gnarled teeth, and wild eyes that I had become. I explained in a raspy, hollowed voice what had befallen me, leaving out the monster's true fate, of course, and thankfully, he seemed to believe me. The young man with dirty blonde hair was kind enough to at least pretend like my twisted, revolting appearance did not disgust him. So what's the first thing you're going to do? He asked me, attempting small talk. What do you mean? I croaked out, my social skills as atrophied as my body. Well, you've been, um, gone. Gone a long time. What are you going to do first? He explained, trying to be polite. I... I have a daughter, I said simply, to which he smiled and nodded. Oh, wow. I'm sure she'll be happy to... to see you. He replied, his hesitation at that word, enough to give me doubts as well, but I had to believe that a stint in the hospital would brighten my appearance enough for her not to revile me. She's the only reason I'm here now. I don't know what I'd do without her. I said softly, at last filled not just with hope to see her smiling and giggling face again, but with genuine anticipation. I understand, I've got a little one myself. Nothing clears away the dark times like kids, huh? Say, I never I never got your name, sir, if you don't mind my asking, that is. I shook my head and smiled at someone for the first time in half a year. Not at all. The name's Vaughn. Vaughn Masterson. So it is about the guy just kind of, you know, 
That's that's a series of unfortunate events right there. I like it. It was written really well. My only problem is, you know, M. Night Shyamalan needs to come back and write a third part that brings the two stories together, you know? He needs to he needs to bring back a bunch of characters that are really, you know, tired from 12 years ago and just make a whole new movie with them that no one asked for. The, the only thing I really didn't like, the only thing I didn't like about it, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. The only thing I didn't <laughs> like about it was the fact that you already know we were, we were like, two, I think we were like two paragraphs in and we're like, oh, well, this is written from the guy's part, the, the captive part. Yeah. You know, he's going to keep that. And that ended up being, you ended up having the, you know, that ended up being the, the climax and they're like, oh, well, yeah, well, I figured that out fucking <laughs> Five 15 minutes ago, ago. buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I figured that out. Then it had to be a climax, so man. It, I figured that shit out already. So but. it's kind of, yeah, it kind of takes away from the twist that, um, you know, he's going to be heading home into, you know, a blue ruin level situation yeah. of fucked up misunderstanding. We don't even know what happened to his daughter. We don't even know if she's even alive or not or in the first we know, place. We know the, uh, if it's been six months, yeah. 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 She's probably dead. Yeah. And we also know that. She's probably dead. What's fun about this is the fact that we were literally watching Hannibal. We randomly <laughs> picked this story out and we're reading a story where a guy literally just that starts eating happens, a nut. Dude. It really does. It always We're happens. literally watching Hannibal and we have no idea what we're about to read. We're like, hey, we're going to go ahead and just bang this story out. And then next thing you know, the guy's just the guy's eating, eating another, another guy. guy. Yeah. After being trapped in the basement yep. for a while. Yep. That's very Silence of the Lambs <laughs> of you. Yep. Very Silence yeah, of the Lambs of you. It's kind of worked out that way, so... Um, let's see what else we have here. I have a feeling we could read a, a couple shorter ones now that that's out of the way. But I, I liked it. I did like it too. I thought it was fun. I it thought plays, it was written it really to, well. Uh, it plays to both the both sides. You know, I really like it. it and so I like that you read the dad part, and I yeah, read the shitty young guy. Why? That it's kind of that way. <laughs> and Things are too poetic sometimes. It, but I still never know actually who hit the daughter. It doesn't explain if it was actually the... It's Zodiac. It's it's irrelevant. Yeah. You know it's irrelevant. I mean? like, yeah. Someone did it. It happened. Someone killed the daughter. You know? Yeah. You don't know if it's it, who it is that actually killed the daughter. You don't know if it was actually... Some s- part of you makes you think that it's actually the dad just losing his mind and actually killing his own daughter. So you're going to read this. Making faces? Okay. <laughs> this is... Uh, so we read a lot of unsettling stories on your episodes. Yeah, That's a source we read from. Yeah. Um, that last one was from No Sleep, and it was pretty good. Yep. Um, this one is from Unsettling Stories. This one is called Making Faces. Okay. I was torn from my sleep by the sound of my daughter's screams. That's why I saved the story for no, you. It's always the same <laughs> stuff. It's, it's always, yeah, it's always the same stuff. I was torn from my sleep by the sound of my daughter's screams. I rushed from the hall and saw Jesse standing in front of her bedroom window. When I wrapped my arms around her, I noticed her pajamas were soaked with sweat. Screams tapered off and gasping sobs replaced them, her tiny body heaving as it attempted to take in more air as the lung would allow. I picked her up and carried her into my room. We sat on the bed and I held her until she calmed enough for me to ask what happened. She shook her head, hot tears spilled down her cheeks. Please, sweetheart, I promise it's okay what happened. Jessie's wide blue eyes stared into mine, still leaking away the memory of whatever trauma she'd endured. She pulled my nightgown, beckoning me to come down to her level so she could whisper something into my ear. And I obliged. There was a big girl in my window making faces at me. I lifted my head again to look at Jessie, still feeling the hot condensation from her breath in my ear. A big girl? I asked, puzzled. Big girls don't cry. 
<laughs> Jesse nodded and wiped her eyes. Frankie Valley. And it really was. So it was just. Don't cry. <laughs> Jesse nodded and wiped her hand on her big or sweaty pajamas. Come on, I told her, forcing a smile. Let's get you in the tub. I'll let you use my bath bomb. Ooh. Ooh that's very nice of you. For the first time since her ordeal began, a smile flashed across her face. As I waited for the tub to fill, Jessie held me around my waist. Her crying had stopped, but she still trembled. I stroked her hair and told her it was okay, and over and over and over, while wondering what could possibly have scared her so badly. This type of episode was entirely unlike her. Quite the contrary, I'd always walk her into her sneaking peeks of scary movies on TV, even though I told her in no uncertain terms that she wasn't to watch them. But still, even though she had seen some creepy monsters and murderers, they could never give her nightmares. When that tub was filled with the bat bomb releasing its bubbles and glitter and scents that delighted and relaxed Jessie, I helped at her out of her pajamas and into the water. She sat there peacefully of her tiredness, caught up with her again. Her eyes closed, and I continued stroking her hair. After a little while, knowing she needed to go back to bed, I shook her awake. She opened her eyes and saw me prompting a smile. Then she stiffened, her eyes widening, screaming again. I reached into the tub and grabbed her, trying to hold her close, but she pushed and clawed me, trying to get away. I cried out to her, Jessie, what's happening? And I stopped. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw something behind me, something at the window. I whirled around, yanking Jessie in my back, against my back, and I shielded her from something I hadn't even properly seen. But soon I had, and my own panic streak drowned out of my daughter. Peering in through the bathroom window was a round, white face, pale white with small, jaundiced eyes. I pushed against the window screen until it fell and clattered against the floor. The face moved towards us, and a dull, thin, articulated neck conducted directly to his chin. Get out, I shouted, mustering up as much violence in my voice as possible. The neck was blocking out her path to the door, and a hideous face turned and stared directly at me before opening its mouth and saying one word. Jesse. Jesse. Paralyzing wave of incompressible, or incomprehensible terror bloomed inside me. The voice was lowed and droning, like a normal woman's voice against slow and pitched down an octave. I felt Jesse stiffen against my back, and she pressed her face against my spine as if trying to hide inside me. More neck came through the window, the vertebrae bulging against his tight skin as it swayed in the space around us like a long finger with a hundred knuckles. Yes. The voice is even deeper now, and I felt it in my chest and bowels. The face moved towards me, and I struck it with my fist. <laughs> and, my <laughs> and I fucking punched it in the face. <laughs> I gave it a round pass. My hand thudded uselessly against his forehead. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna punch something. Punch it in the damn neck. Maybe punch it in the neck that's like <laughs> 16 feet long, right? Break the, yeah. break the long neck. Yeah. For my eyes, the What's face the begins. Punch it in the forehead. Punch it in the forehead. What's the best way to take down a brachiosaurus? Let's ask our man Hulk Hogan. Yeah. For my eyes, the face began to change. Its feature elongated, then contracted. Its mouth stretched into its earlobes and shrank down to a pinhole. The entire topography of his cheekbones and chin and jaw shattered and reformed. A second later, I was looking at a terribly deformed version of my daughter. Jesse! It exhaled heavily, hot, stinking breath filled my nostrils. The strength in my arms vanished, the stability of my legs evaporated, and I dropped to the floor helpless. Jesse was exposed. Jesse! The long neck wrapped around my daughter like an anaconda, pulled her toward the window, and Jesse, no longer screaming, struggled to breathe against its constricting grasp. Her face reddened. The terrible thing drooled black fluid on top of the top of her head. Jessie stopped struggling. She and the creature disappeared into the night. My body regained the strength and I bolted into the window. 
in the dim light of the crescent moon, I watched the long legs of the thing carry my daughter into the woods. I called 911. The police came. They investigated for days. I was the only or suspect in our disappearance, but as days turned into weeks, and we stretched into the months, the trail had gone cold. Even if I was still a suspect, they had nothing even to even hit. They had nothing to even a hint of me being the reason for her disappearance. And in fact, there was evidence to the contrary. During the initial investigation, with every nook and cranny of the house was looked at, and every piece of furniture was upended, and with every inch of the property was examined, there were only two pieces of evidence, neither of which had anything to do with me other than to help collaborate my story. The first morning of the investigation, officers noticed a trail of glitter from the bath bombs stretched from the bathroom window all the way through the yard and high into the streets at the mouth of the forest. When the officer scaled one of the trees, he found glitter stuck to the leaves 25 feet up. It was strange, they admitted, but in their words, glitter gets everywhere. Why don't you take a bath with glitter in the first place? That seems kind of... And, you know, anti-productive, right? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. While they were quick to admit this as direct evidence, they couldn't explain the other thing they found. Smeared across the window in Jesse's room was a greasy, distorted shape of a woman's enormous face. When the lab analyzed the cells they'd left been left behind, the results were inconclusive. The samples were deemed non-viable. To me, that meant they wanted to hide the investigation that they discovered. After a long while, the active investigation was closed. It had been six years since Jesse was taken. I live alone in the same house, and every night I go to bed wishing my daughter would come back to me. Recently, I noticed my bedroom windows had started getting dirty faster than usually did. I washed them and didn't think much of it, not until this morning. This morning, I woke up to find an outside-facing side of every window covered in grayish translucent grease. For a while, I struggled to understand what had happened, and then I got to the picture window in the living room. It too was filthy, but there was something in that filth, outlined against a white piece of glass. It was the impression of a large face and a thin articulated neck, the same face I'd seen that night, and then next to it, clear as day, was the print of another smaller face, Jesse's face, supported by the same terrible neck. You know what that reminds me of? What's that? Junji Ito. That's the, uh... That weird Asian story? One the, of the weird Japanese well, stories? It's not a story, it's a it's an author, an illustrator okay. of every like terrifying Japanese manga sure. in history. Yep. All mm -hmm. you need is one good We talk about him on a ton of episodes, folks. I, I know everyone's always fun to call me a fag when I bring up Dunji Ito <laughs> on the show. Is he um Is he the one that does the the one word the girl is really like walking down the street and she turns around like the dead girl is like walking down the street and she like no that's no this this is Junji Ito oh my goodness. spirals okay get over here spirals yeah. okay freaky he's just Jap he's just Japanese yeah, he's much horror more freaky deaky yeah Japanese horror yeah. man um, you're really looking at it it's kind of the same that last favorite, one was actually my uh, favorite uh, last one was probably the scariest one of all that you showed what that one that little freaky face that one right there. Yeah. One. <laughs> yeah my my favorite Ito story um, is The Fault. The Enigma of the Amagara Fault. Um, it's a really great story. To sum it up in a couple pages, um, the story is about all over the country um, an earthquake happens and what is revealed in the earthquake are shapes of mm -hmm. bodies in the mountain, and they're all different, and they're all, and they whistle. I have read that. And they whistle, yeah. and when and when people 
start to get close to them, they claim that they're hearing their own names mm-hmm. next to the holes, and they become obsessed with the holes, and they they slowly start to go missing in the middle of the night, yep. everyone who finds yep. these holes. And what you realize is they have gone into their own person-shaped holes and mm-hmm. have disappeared. And then at the very end, the best twist of all is, you know, months later, mm-hmm. after this thing has happened, they start to hear um, things coming from the holes, and it's the people coming out the other side yeah. of the mountain after having been transformed slowly over time yeah. into, from, these monsters. Yeah. into these monsters from the other side of the holes. Yeah. So the other earthquake happens on the other side of the, yeah. you know, the, the mountain range and it reveals, you know, these spaghetti limbed, almost amoeba like monster shapes. And everyone says, why do these shapes make weird noises? And then they remember the human shaped holes on the other side of the mountain. And everyone starts to put together Jesus Christ. These people are being yeah. turned into inhuman monsters. Yeah. And it is haunting and terrifying. And I hate that fucking story. <laughs> I've read that story. And it, is, it is. That's uh, Junji Ito. Yeah, that's. that's... He's also made, um, I think it's called Gyo, which is about uh, one day. This is the concept. Mm-hmm. One day, imagine this, all sea life from even very, very deep down to moderate deep down have been gifted or granted insect-like giant robotic limbs, and they are wreaking their revenge on humanity. So sharks with giant limbs (laughs) climbing up out of the ocean and just eating people on land because they can now. Giant sperm whale, just millions of legs picks up one side of its head, smashes a building for no reason at all whatsoever. And then the freaky deaky shit starts to come up from way deep down. Okay. Like lampreys and uh, the eight foot tall snow crabs, you know, crabs and shit. (laughs) Like um, that stuff starts to come out of the the real depths, the trench, you know. So that's fun. Giant eels and shit and squids climbing up out of the ocean and killing people. Um, that's one of his most popular ones. Um, Japanese people are just on a different... They're great. They're different. No, whole. <laughs> <love them. laughs> There's something the different than anything else. So like everything we do, we're like, hey, we're just copy so you were reading. Guys. You were reading that story, and I actually really liked that. I love um, monsters with zero explanation. Okay, that's one of my favorite uh, creepypasta uh, stereotypes. Just the ones that just. Random. Monsters that make no sense. Yeah, just and they just come just out of nowhere and ruin just terrorize your life. you for, yeah, just ruin your life. for no reason. And that actually reminded me of a story I know I would love to read to you. Because you are going to find this heartbreaking. And for I'm some reason... find it heartbreaking? Yeah, man. Why would you want to read it to me? Then? Oh, because I want to talk to you about it. Okay. So, <laughs> same length. Yeah. And I need to read this story with you because I, I had forgotten. Someone recommended this story to me. Because it had happened again recently, um, locally, I think. And uh, someone told me to read this because apparently it's one of the best stories on Reddit No Sleep. And it's based off of completely real, true things that can happen. That's exciting. It is called Autopilot. For anyone who knows this story already, it is pretty notorious in Reddit's No Sleep culture for being short and painful. Have you ever forgotten your phone? When did you realize you'd forgotten it? I'm guessing you didn't just smack your forehead and exclaim, Damn! Apropos of nothing. 
the realization probably didn't dawn on you spontaneously. More likely, you reached for the phone, pawing open your pocket or handbag, and were momentarily confused by it not being there. Then you did a mental re-step of the morning's events. Shit. In my case, my phone's alarm woke me up as normal, but I realized the battery was lower than I expected. It was a new phone, and it had this annoying habit of leaving applications running that drained the battery overnight, so I put it on to charge while I showered instead of into my bag like normal. It was a momentary slip from the routine, but that was all it took. Once in the shower, my brain got back into the routine it follows every morning, and that was it. Forgotten. This wasn't just me being clumsy, as I later researched. This is recognized as a brain function. Your brain doesn't just work on one level, it works on many. Like when you're walking somewhere, you think about your destination and avoiding hazards, but you don't need to think about keeping your legs moving properly. If you did, the entire world would turn into one massive, hilarious quop cosplay, which is a game, Q-U-O-P, where you play as a horse and you go, trying to use your legs. I wasn't thinking about regulating my breathing. I was thinking whether I should grab a coffee on the drive to work, and I did. I wasn't thinking about moving my breakfast through my intestines. I was wondering whether I'd finish on time to pick up my daughter, Emily, from nursery after work or get stuck with another late fee. This is the thing. There's a level of your brain that just deals with routine so that the rest of the brain can think about other things. Think about it. Think about your last commute. What do you actually remember? Little, if anything, probably. Most common journeys blur into one, and recalling any one in particular is scientifically proven to be difficult. Do something often enough and it becomes routine. Keep doing it and it stops being processed by the thinking bit of the brain and gets relegated to a part of the brain dedicated to dealing with routine. Your brain keeps doing it without you thinking about it. Soon you think about your route to work as much as you do keep your legs moving when you walk, as in not at all. Most people call this autopilot, but there's danger there. If you have a break in your routine, your ability to remember and account for the break is only as good as your ability to stop your brain going into routine mode. My ability to remember my phone being on the counter is only as reliable as my ability to stop my brain entering morning routine mode, which would dictate that my phone is actually in my bag. But I didn't stop my brain entering routine mode. I had gotten the shower as normal. Routine started, exception forgotten, autopilot engaged. My brain was back in the routine. I showered, I shaved, the radio forecast, amazing weather. I gave Emily her breakfast and I loaded her in the car. She was so adorable that morning, she complained about the bad sun in the morning, blinding her, saying it stopped her having a little sleep on the way to the nursery and left. That was the routine. It didn't matter that my phone was on the counter charging silently. My brain was in the routine, and in the routine, my phone was in my bag. That is why I forgot my phone. Not clumsiness. Not negligence. Nothing more my brain entering routine mode and overriding the exception. Autopilot engaged. I left for work. It's a slow, sweltering hot day already. The bad sun had been burning since before my traitorously absent phone woke me. The steering wheel was burning hot to touch when I sat down, and I think I heard Emily shift over behind my driver's seat to get out of the glare, but I got to work, submitted the report, attended the morning meetings. It's not until I took a quick coffee break and reached for my phone that the illusion shattered. 
I did a mental restep. I remembered the dying battery. I remembered putting it on to charge. I remember leaving it there. My phone was on the counter. Autopilot disengaged. Again, therein lies the danger. Until you have that moment, the moment you reach for your phone and shatter the illusion, and the part of your brain is still in routine mode. It has no reason to question the facts of the routine. That's why it's a routine attrition of repetition. It's not as if anyone could say, why didn't you remember your phone? Didn't it, it occur to you? How could you forget? You must be negligent. This is to miss the point. My brain was telling me the routine was completed as normal, despite the fact that it wasn't. It wasn't that I forgot my phone, according to my brain, according to the routine. My phone was in my bag. Why would I think to question it? Why would I check? Why would I suddenly remember out of nowhere that my phone was on the counter? My brain was wired into the routine, and the routine was that my phone was in my bag. The day continued to bake. The morning haze gave way to the relentless fever heat of the afternoon. Tarmac bubbled. The direct beams of heat threatened to crack the pavement. People swapped coffees for iced smoothies. Jackets discarded. Sleeves rolled up. Ties loosened. Brows mopped. The parks slowly filled with sunbathers and barbecues. Window frames threatened to warp. The thermometer continued to swell. Thank fuck the offices were air-conditioned, but as ever, the furnace of the day gave way to a cooler evening. Another day, another dollar. Still cursing myself for forgetting my phone, I drove home. The day's heat had baked the inside of the car, releasing a horrible smell from somewhere. When I arrived on the driveway, the stones crunching comfortingly under my tires, my wife greeted me at the door. Where's Emily? Fuck. As if the phone wasn't bad enough, after everything I'd left Emily at the fucking nursery after all. I immediately sped back to the nursery, I got to the door, and started practicing my ex excuses, wondering vainly if I could charm my way out of a late fee, and I saw a piece of paper stuck in the door. Due to vandalism overnight, please use the side door today only. Overnight what? The door was fine this morning. I froze. My knees shook. Vandals. A change in the routine. My phone was on the counter. I hadn't been here this morning. My phone was on the counter. I'd driven past because I was drinking my coffee. I'd not dropped Emily off. My phone was on the counter. She moved in her seat. I hadn't seen her in the mirror. My phone was on the counter. She'd fallen asleep out of the bad sun. She didn't speak when I drove past her nursery. My phone was on the counter. She'd changed the routine. My phone was on the counter. She'd changed the routine and I'd forgotten to drop her off. My phone was on the counter. Nine hours later, that car... The baking sun, no air, no water, no power, no help, that heat, a steering wheel too hot to touch, that smell. I walked to the car door, numb, shock, I opened the door, my phone was on the counter, and my daughter was dead. Autopilot, disengaged. That's a fucked up story. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fucked up story that is probably one of the better ones that I've been written it's because it's so because that's happened that happens that happens that that's happens. exactly that what I said happens. that's exactly yeah. what I said that when is, I read it yeah that is people uh, have gone to court yeah. over negligence and said the same thing for having left their children in the car because their yeah. kids did not make a single fucking noise and they yeah. just forget yeah I uh I don't know how that happens being having kids but 
that it happens so much and you read that so many you read that like four or five times over every summer you read that 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 a kid was left a baby an infant that Something. was sleeping yeah. was left in a car yeah. and died sometimes it's you know for all reasons like you know mommy's a scumbag you know doing drugs yeah in meth. the house and leaves yeah, the baby exactly. in the car and, but, and falls but asleep sometimes and the baby just, dies. sometimes it's just hey like Guy loving go, parent goes to work. Loving parent, yeah. kind child. Sure. Kid, kid, totally forgets to say anything. Kid, parent gets out goes, of the car and immediately forgets. Yeah, leaves the kid in the car. Kid, sits in the kid probably hits. Hours? Kid probably no. hits the window. Kid probably screams. No getting out of that situation. Yeah. Kids, kids aren't strong enough to get out of that situation. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. That's a heartbreaking story. Yeah, it's a. Uh... How'd you feel about that? Oh, it's shitty, man. <laughs> 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 Only you can make me feel terrible yeah, about making not, you read a story yeah, about you, leaving you, child. <laughs> Jesus, like I'm like, and you, you have a good I, time tonight. Yeah, before you even read it, I was like, why are you reading me this story? But what a horrible way to end the night. <laughs> <laughs> because that story, that story is so popular because that shit happens, and that is the exact reason that is the exact excuse it's almost as if the person who wrote that is talking from like experience, experience. like yeah like a kid die um that is probably what happened the last summer is i think a man went to trial um a loving father of like four girls went to trial and was found guilty for uh killing his child and he claimed it was just you know just left her in the car and the and you know the other daughters are there, the wife are there, everyone is crying throughout the entire thing, but daddy has to go away because he fucking killed his kid. It's um it does the reason why it's probably so popular is because that it's probably the truest Steeped in truth. It is probably the truest story that's ever been written. Ain't no scarier monster than the that. monster inside of all of us. You can think of it just being a monster, it's just like <laughs> No, that's just me being shitty. It's just being a shitty, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're, everybody has gone through something like that where you just, you just forget, you know, anything. Anything like that, you know? These... You, you go to a grocery store and you're like, you know, you go to a grocery store and you're going to get groceries and next thing you know, like, you forget something that you're supposed to get for your groceries or it's it's the most simplest thing in the world is just to... Maybe it's just me. mind wander, but... Maybe it's just me and the feminist tumblerinas that always you know, uh, find reasons to yell at people for leaving their dogs in cars on hot summer days. But I'm very attentive of vehicles and I look around. I'm a very conscious person. Yeah. I don't go into autopilot too often. I'm very, um, I need to be distracted. My, my brain is too overactive. I haven't reached the point of either sleep loss or, you know, uh, adulthood for being, you know, having to go through raising a child and having to like stick to the schedule of yeah. having a child or even a pet, really. I don't own any pets. You know, even yeah. dogs need routine. So it's just like I don't have many routines and um it's very hard for me to find this story scary because I just don't think I would ever be in a situation to to my, forget about my, that. My shit. thing is is like I like I, I know I would never that would never happen to me because sure. I am uh, I'm scared to death of my kids and I'm afraid that uh, they're gonna stab me. So I am constantly You're constantly watching watching them, them and yeah. just staring at them and making sure that they're not going to 
That's a great Kill reason. Me. That's a great so reason. And I, I don't have kids. I, yeah, so, I'm, so I, I know exactly where they're at all the time. Because I will fight all. <laughs> he, got, he, got six, he got six snipers trained on each uh, of his kids. I will fight both of you. <laughs> the reason the reason Scutch uh, the reason Scutch hasn't been on an episode in like fifty episodes is because he's been keeping a keen eye on both his four and eight year old because they get pretty testy around some pasta. They do. It is absolutely crazy. Like they will. Uh, they do. I will. Uh, I will kick a kid right in the head. <laughs> I, <laughs> get out of here, you little kid! Like it's uh it's it's scary. That's little kids are uh, little kids are are uh, oh. you know don't have. I'm looking for an excuse to to break someone's car window with a brick, man. Don't don't leave kids in cars on hot days. Don't leave I am little the, dogs uh, in cars. I am on the hot kind days. of guy that I might roll up that window just to uh, save your life. <laughs> <laughs> Save your life. Oh, the little kids are scary, man. Kid, what are you gonna do? I'll roll up that window for you. I don't know why you're so scared of them. <laughs> what are you your, talking about? They're horrible. They're horrible. Oh. Little kids are awful. Little kids are awful. Little kids don't oh. ever have Oh shit! Let's talk about this. There's a new movie coming out called Prodigy. It's about that exact fact. It is. It's the little kid yeah. from It. He played yeah. Georgie in It. He's a great little kid actor. Yeah. I can't, I don't find him scary at all. No. Um, he's not quite Damien Omen looking enough. No, for he's me. not. He doesn't have the uh, the bags. His eyes are too. Emotional. Yeah, he doesn't have the bags. His eyes are too sad. Yeah. He's a cute yeah. kid. Yeah, and um, he he plays a kid with like a four GPA and a high IQ at the age of like six. Mm-hmm. So he becomes painfully aware of his existence, his parents' role in his life. And very quickly decides that he might not want them, and he might try to kill them. Yep. And how do you feel about that movie? It, it, that's that's pretty close to like there's your a, exact fear. Yeah, but not even that. But there's there's real stories that are based around that about kids that are like. Oh, we talked about it last yeah, time. Yeah, there's kids yeah. that are like 13, 14 that are just super smart that realize you know that they're just never going to. Not not necessarily amount to anything, but just are going through much more emotional. They realize life yeah. is pointless, and they yeah. decide to at like do 13 terrible or 14. things. Yeah, at like thirteen or fourteen around. years old. Yeah, before they or they do it to themselves and things like that, and that legit happens. This is another thing where like you'll watch that movie and you're like, oh, well, that's you know that's unbelievable, but that is probably more believable than any other children of the dead movie that you're watching. You know what I mean? So Absolutely, that that beats your pet cemetery. That's for sure. Kids ain't coming back from the dead. They just. Yeah, but that guy's not. That guy's not cutting my Achilles tendon either. That's while true. I'm sitting in a chair. Oh, so you're afraid of the fact that just because he's tiny, he could hurt you in ways that you don't think about. Sure. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not worried about. Like, I was thinking about. No, coming back no, from the <laughs> no. I'm not worried about like some like. Uh, you're worried that your kid's gonna be waiting under your table when you come down to sit down. Yeah, no, no, fuck a kid up. But like a. <laughs> 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 I but, uh, I love that that's your byline on all of these episodes is that I'm afraid of my children but I will defend myself. <laughs> yeah. My my whole thing is like I'm not I'm not afraid of uh I'm not afraid of like when they get older and they're like hey like I'm afraid of when like they're tiny I am sleeping can't get them as fast. I'm afraid of when I'm sleeping. I am afraid of that like like one day I'm sleeping and my daughter's like crawls in the bed and like 
I'm like, oh, hey, like, you can sleep with us. And next thing you know, she's, like, just stabbing me in the neck with, like, a pencil. I'm like, all right, so that's what I'm, like, worried about. You know I mean? Hey, Dad, I'm going to draw over the walls with your blood. Nah, you know, like, yeah. stab me in the neck. Yeah, and I'm no. like, oh, that sucks. You know, I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sucks. Oh, that sucks. Stop. But, <laughs> Don't do that. You know, that's, that's basically what being a parent is. Like, hey, like, I, uh. Being afraid yeah, of everything. Exactly. You got you to gotta be scared of your kids. And, you gotta uh, be scared for your kids. You gotta be, That's okay. what you said last yeah, time. You gotta be you gotta scared, be scared for, your for your kids. You gotta be scared you know? by your kids. <laughs> That's what it is. That's how life is, man. That's what it is. Oh, you gotta be scared for your kids. You gotta be scared because of your kids. That's it. That's why we read kids' stories. That's why we read the kids' stories. And, you know, that's that's why I think we should read Raft on your next episode, because at its core, it's about a bunch of kids fucking around and it gets them killed. <laughs> it is. And that really is, yeah. It's the same thing. Oh, yeah. We're going to read that next time. I'm pretty excited. Uh, we'll have to do this again in, like, a month or two. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait to be back on again. It'll be, uh... It'll be a good time. I miss this. I miss, you've, I just miss you've had some great fucking episodes. And, and, uh, and just talking about crazy stuff. Your episodes are very near and dear to me because when I am sitting in the car and I just press shuffle on all 115 episodes, it takes me a while to find one that I'm like, I'm okay listening to this one. And all of your episodes, much like my friend, um, Where Am I?, all of his episodes are very just, like, the stories we read are fun to listen to. Sure. So I I just listen to our banter and I listen to our stories because they're fun. Yeah. And I think today's today's episode is no exception. Your fourth episode is very much in tune with your last couple. But maybe this next time we'll uh, twist things up a little bit, go in a different direction. Okay. But uh, I had a lot of fun. I'm scared of, of lots of things, man. You're scared of a lot of things. You are scared of water. So, I'm scared of water. So raft will do. Oh yeah. On that's your a good next, story for me. Kids, next and, uh, episode. Kids, kids and water. That's uh yeah. knocks it out. That's your next episode. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much knocks it out. Yeah. Right, so we got clowns, we got dolls, we got kids. And water. And we got darkness. We did darkness and, yeah. and sleep. We, we did, did sleep. sleep. Oh, yeah, we did You're sleep. You're afraid of sleep. Um so I yeah, am, so uh, next time we'll get water. I'm pretty much nice. afraid of all the things that people like. <laughs> Alright, that's great. That's pretty standard. Yeah, right. Pretty standard. So uh Adios. any any final anything final final thoughts? Yeah, man. Just if if every little kid comes up to you and he uh he talks that shit, don't put up with it. Drop him at Just that drop moment. Him. Drop him where he's at. You brought him into this world, you could take him out of it's it. Someone else's problem, you know? Don't worry about it. Yeah, the just the justice system. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs>